Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Today is Christ the King Sunday, the final feast in the annual cycle of the church year before we begin the whole thing again next week, starting with Advent. It's the feast on which we recall to mind that when Jesus comes back a second time, as we've been speaking about for these last few weeks, he's going to bring every last corner of the universe into his domain, visibly, permanently, forever. The biblical image for this is the new Jerusalem, the new final city where Christ is the king and where God dwells forever. When the king returns, his first act of business will be judgment and his second act of business will then be reigning forever. And we've spent uh, the last two weeks looking uh, chiefly at the, the negative side of this judgment that it will come against all sin and that all those who come before that judgment throne are unrepentant, not found in Christ Jesus, will, in the language of the, what, the teaching we heard from Jesus this morning, um, be counted among the goats. Uh, and those that are found in Christ Jesus, bearing the fruit of good works, will be found among the sheep. Uh, we also looked at the language of Revelation, that, that this day is a day when the books are opened and read. And certainly, as we hear just over and over again in the prophets, the sort of negative aspect, the the heavy weight, the foreboding nature of this great day is is the primary thing, kind of forefront, filling the screen. Um, But it's not the only aspect of judgment. There is also um, a positive aspect, which I want to speak about this morning. I I, I promised that we would speak about it last week. That just as wickedness will be punished, righteousness will be rewarded. And I think the sort of the, the twin side of this coin, we miss actually both sides in the sort of current flavor of Christian conversation. We, we tend to not speak about judgment and punishment, but we also don't speak very much about judgment and reward, uh, despite the fact that that's a very prevalent <coughs> theme uh, in Scripture. Not only in the Gospel lesson that we just heard, where um, Jesus actually names the very concrete acts which he is rewarding, um, but in our Gospel last week, right, that what the servant did with the grace God gave him when he did good things with it, that that was rewarded. Uh, throughout, uh, the Gospel of Matthew really uh, emphasizes this. Chapter 10, famous verse, you'll know it. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, is true, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus is speaking about the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life and gifts given, he says repeatedly, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Like this, this theme, this concept of reward is also prevalent uh, um, in the Gospels. Christian faithfulness that manifests in faithful deeds gets rewarded. And, and these rewards will be meted out on Judgment Day. Just as every sin will be punished, every righteous deed will be rewarded. Which, really, think about this, I think we don't value this uh, enough. That God's 
he never sleeps, as we know from the Psalms. His eye is always watching our lives, which means every good deed that you've ever done will be rewarded. Every time you've ever turned away from a temptation, every time you've ever repented from a sin, every time you've ever sought to speak a loving word to a brother or sister, or give a gift, or do something kind, like some kind of act, act of service, every time you've made an effort to really pray, every time you've especially given to the poor, every single one of those is, will be recorded, and when the books are opened and read out from, um, they will be named. They have not been forgotten. They've each been recorded, which is a really fantastic thought uh, that God is keeping track of all these things. So when we think about the second coming, we shouldn't just, because of fear of negative judgment, avoid what is evil, although we should do that. We should also think kind of in our day-to-day lives of this uh, upcoming time of reward. And that should inspire us to live faithfully into the Christian deeds that God calls us to. Every day, in fact, on this earth, is a chance that God gives us to gain a larger reward, a larger portion of his goodness for eternity, which is a real opportunity. And just to be clear, this is the only opportunity. Um, when the, the, sort of the theologians put their heads together and try and put all the pieces of scripture together, uh, one of the things that is revealed is that after this life, there's no chance for earning more grace and more reward. That, that testing ground is now. It's in this mortal life, this very short time span, is where we get a chance to secure, to gain for ourselves, uh, eternal blessings. So I want to dig into just a a handful of aspects about this biblical promise of reward this morning. Just kind of tease out a few points about it. Um, The first is, you know, I think... I wonder if this is you're having this experience, having a little bit of hesitation, even even thinking about reward, that maybe it sounds a bit like works righteousness, like you do something and get a reward. Isn't that the very thing that Paul's very plain teaching about justification uh, is against? Um, I think the answer is no to that. That here we have a scriptural witness where there are two different things, and they act, the clash is only seems to clash. In, in reality, there isn't a clash. And I think the problem is solved in this way: when we look at the source from which faith that justifies uh, and good deeds when we look at the source from which these things come. In both cases, uh, it's God himself who is the source, right? It's God the Holy Spirit inspiring faith within us and it's God the Holy Spirit inspiring prayer in our lives and it's God the Holy Spirit who is working out good deeds in in our daily life. So, It would be a grave mistake to think that just out of my own soul, I'm just doing these good things. That would be a false presumption of what's been called works righteousness. But when we recognize that the Holy Spirit really does live within us, we see that it's not us generating good. It's God who is alone good. Jesus is really clear about that, right? God alone is good. It's God himself generating that good in the midst of our life. When we think or do something Godly, the source of that is God. In and of of ourselves, the only thing we would produce sort of apart from God would be sin and wickedness, that we are incapable actually of creating something objectively good in God's eyes out of our own life. To use the language of Philippians, all we are doing is working out what God is working in. So when God rewards our good deeds... In a way, he's actually honoring his own work within our lives. And St. Augustine said this wonderfully in a kind of a memorable phrase. He says, on Judgment Day, God 
crowns his own handiwork within us. Which at first seems a bit circular, like why is God honouring his own work? But when you look at it from our vantage point, what a gift, what a blessing that we get to not only receive God's work, but also the rewards for that work. It's like a double grace that we get to receive as his children. So that's the first thing I want to unpack, is that this idea is not a false works righteousness, it's a biblical truth. The second thing I want to unpack is um, the the insight that much of the things we think of, like when I say the good deeds that you've done, the things that come to mind, they really are a mixed bag, right? And uh, I know most of you, you're all probably self-aware of this reality, that in in the midst of doing something good, there is often something not so good uh, kind of polluting the, the well, po- poisoning the waters. That it might be uh, something expected, in, a gift given with something expected in return, which of course is then not a gift at all by definition, but that's how we give our gifts so often. It could be wanting to be seen, and Jesus comes against that very clearly. But I also want to offer even more subtly, I think sometimes we want to do the right thing, not to bring God the glory, but so that we can get an A-plus on our Christian report card. Right? Which is really subtle. I actually, I, 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 it was uh, in confession one time. I was making confession to this old wise priest, and he said, "Ben, it sounds like you're trying to be good for your glory." And I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, that is why I'm trying to." Do it. You know, even something as subtle as that, like wanting to to gain something for ourselves rather than to give the glory to God. We're often polluting the good deeds that God is working out with our own fleshliness. Um, and, and one of the things about Judgment Day is. The, the fire of God's love, of his presence, will, will separate those two things. That Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 uses this language of refining fire. The, the good deeds we've done, what was sort of fleshly and us about it, will get purged away, and what is good, what remains, is what will be rewarded. And um, this really cuts against also this idea of judging things by their outward appearances. Do you know Jesus, when he points out the widow who gave a penny to the temple, reveals this very truth, that outwardly, we don't know what's the really good deed and what's the not great deed. Like the, the millionaire who skims a couple grand off the top may be doing much less than the widow who gives a penny. Right? It's the, the heart which sort of is the true um, indicator of the goodness of a gift. And that heart will be revealed on Judgment Day. And, and every gift will be sort of refined and revealed for, for what it really is. And you know, the temptation there is that we want to kind of always level that judgment against others, like, oh yeah, I'm sure that didn't cost that millionaire anything or whatever. But we should, we should level this against ourselves. But to recognize sort of humbly that, yeah, knowing my own like, spiritual blindness, the fact I'm still needing more of the illumination of God, I'm not even sure which parts of the good things I've done are really good and which are selfish. I mean, how many of you have had the experience of something you thought was good? Um, this happened to me yesterday. Something you thought was good, and then sort of a few hours later you realize, oh, actually, so I, I thought I was being really patient in an argument with Carrie. I'm like, oh, here I am, just being so patient, I'm really doing a good thing here. And then the course discussion it was made plain that actually I'd been the offender all along. And I didn't realize it at first. So, you know, I was like, oh, here I am thinking I'm giving this gift, and it's actually all tarnished with my own blindness and confusion. And um, I think this realization that we don't even know really uh, how much goodness or what the good deeds we've done, uh, how they really stand, should lead us to never put our trust in our good deeds, right? You can see how the danger would be, well, I'm going to get rewarded for these things, I'll just sit on those when I come to Judgment Day. Um, That would be be a big mistake, laughter is right. Um, 
Instead, of course, we continue to trust God. We continue to look to God and not to ourselves for our reward or for our salvation. We trust him because we we don't know exactly what will be fully revealed on the last day. Um, A third uh, thing I wish to point out about this idea of rewards is, is to pay attention to the very specific things that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 25. It is the case that God will reward any righteous deed, but he names specific deeds in particular that are especially deserving of reward, uh, and they are all deeds of mercy shown to the poor. He names giving food to the hungry, clothes to the, the naked or those who don't have enough clothes, shelter to those without it, care for the sick, visiting those in prison. He says these are the deeds that he's longing to lavish with reward. And I think what really uh, stands out, I think, in sort of the contemporary discussion about poverty and the poor and everything, is that Jesus doesn't make any distinction, doesn't make any caveats between poor who really need help and poor who don't really need help. He doesn't make any distinction between those poor, the poor who are uh, using drugs or those who are not, or those who are using a welfare system or those who are not. He, he actually assumes criminality, right? If they're in prison, they may have done something wrong. Uh, he, he's not assuming, he's not making divisions among the poor. He simply says, if you do mercy for these, it's as if you did it for Christ himself. I think one of the reasons he really associates himself with the poor is because he was poor in his earthly ministry, right? He says, I have no place to lay my head. His whole ministry is funded and relies on the kindness and the provision of others. Uh, In particular, the Gospel of Luke names the group of of women disciples who were patron, patronesses, and kind of cared and underwrote and made sure that that things uh, went along smoothly. Christ identifies himself so closely with the poor that on Judgment Day he says, if you did it for them, you did it for me. He's like making this direct equation that in the face of a poor person, you actually are seeing the face of Jesus Christ. And again, this is a spiritual vision, right? Because one of the things, if you, get, if, you, if you really take this seriously and start knuckling in with ministry to the poor, there's a lot of like bad smells and it's difficult and stressful and confusing and the life of the poor is very muddled and heavy and and that, even in the midst of that, what looks outwardly just sort of, ugh, that the flesh would sort of want to back away from. Uh, God is saying, look closer. Uh, there Christ's presence is. He's offering us, as Christians, as his church, this incredibly simple way to shore up mercy for ourselves on Judgment Day by showing mercy to those who need it the most. The poor whom Christ loves. So practically this means, I think, um, sort of not following maybe the instinct of the world, which would just try and like just drive around the poor neighborhoods and walk across the street when you see a poor person, to not follow that fleshly revulsion, but to see any time you see a poor person, because remember, there's a danger of making this abstract, like we just think of the poor in Somalia. Um, we do have a share in the care for the poor of Somalia, but the chief stewardship God has given us is the poor of Lee County, like the actual poor that we actually bump into and our, our lives are connected to here in this county. So I think, you know, if you want to experience God's blessing the most, uh, to care for the poor directly is the best way to give to anyone who asks, uh, to off, to to help provide for needs. One of the things that um, has really changed my own life is for a long time I tried to like solve the problems that the person would have, like think that I'm sort of responsible to be like a fake social worker and make everything better. 
I want to be careful I say this, but God doesn't actually call us to sort of impose our life to make something better. He just calls us to give for the need that's asked for. That I don't have to solve every problem someone else has. I'm called to listen to what they need and to offer it. So when someone comes to the church and they explain a whole story about how things are going really badly in their life, this happens about every two weeks. Um, I just say, well, what is it that you need today? And they say, a room at a motel. I said, how much does that cost? 40 bucks. It's 40 bucks. Like, they have a lot more problems than just the room for today, but that's what God is asking us, is, is a day-to-day, the little givings, the little help, is chiefly what he asks us to do. So I would just ask you, as we sort of just cross Black Friday, um, and sort of this, uh, you know, this season where we kind of think, oh, I've got a bit of an extra change in the bank at the end of the year. Let's buy more stuff for myself. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Um, you know, you're doing kind of end-of-year financial reckoning, See, how much mercy could you purchase for yourself on Judgment Day? That you can actually, and it's not this sort of, that you actually, God is making that connection that clear. That like in being merciful to others, um, he shows mercy. So uh, you can do it directly. You can also do it indirectly. I and mean, that's why, you know, we have charities and organizations. If you've, that's a, a fine way too, to give money to local organizations that are caring for the poor. Um, I think you miss out on some of the experience of the blessing of working with the poor in that way, but it's still praiseworthy, and God will reward it. Um, I know that if, uh, if I was given $10,000 for the discretionary fund, hint, this is a suggestion, um, I'd give 9500 away tomorrow to his place and to Angel Tree and any other, not Angel Tree, Women's Hope uh, and all the different ministries in town. And I keep a few hundred for the people that come to this church so I can help them out with my own hand, with, with your money, with my own hand. So you can give via other people. If you don't have any idea of who to give to, talk to me. I could suggest 10 charities over coffee hour if you'd like um, to, to purchase small mercy. So when we, if we neglect the needs of the poor, we're, we're neclecting the rewards that Jesus is, that God is offering. Um, now, I realize, um, with this I'll conclude, that um, in speaking about reward, I haven't actually said like, what, what, what the reward is. What, what does God reward us with when we do things like care for the poor and pray and resist temptation and all the good righteous deeds that God calls us to? Um, and the scripture actually is intentionally a little bit vague about this. Like Jesus is often using parables and figures and sheep and goats and all these things because we start to kind of crack into the realm of mystery that we can barely understand. So Jesus kind of just leaves it at the language of, it's a reward, kind of trust me. So that's, uh, that, that's the first thing to say. But um, I think when we kind of put all the scriptures together, we can kind of tease out this picture, which is that um, ultimately the reward, sort of objectively, is salvation, is eternal life uh, with God himself, is beholding his goodness. That is the reward which we get by the mercies of Jesus Christ, by faith in him, but which is manifest indeed like caring for the poor. That's the objective reality. But there's another aspect of sort of subjective reality to the reward. And it's that the, the more we obey Jesus, the more we do things like show mercy to the poor, the more in a way it enlarges our ability and our capacity to receive the glory and the goodness of God that um, everyone, in, I, I read one theologian once who kind of put it really well, that it's like we're all, our souls are all cups, and when we get to heaven, everyone's cup will be overflowing. Like we'll all be filled. And so in, in a way, pa- paradise is paradise for everyone. But in the degree to which we obeyed him here, in the degree to which we honored his commands to show mercy and all the righteous deeds he calls us to, 
our cup is enlarged so we actually are able to receive more enjoyment from the joy of God, that it actually will be a deeper and a richer subjective experience of paradise. Now, this might be kind of a new way of thinking for some of you, because I think we tend to think in sort of just these sort of democratic, flattened field terms, like, well, there's heaven and hell, and we're just all there or we're all not. And at the most simple level, that's true. Um, but, but actually, I think the biblical language of heaven is that there is this sort of rich strata, this topography, um, where those who have humbly obeyed Christ the most will be exalted the most. And those who have done something with the grace that he's given will be rewarded the most. And I think, uh, I think in our, sort of to our fleshly minds, this idea of like, well, if we're in heaven, it doesn't matter. I think we're just failing to grasp what it's like to experience the goodness of God, that it's the most blissful, joyful, peaceful thing. I mean, everything we're striving after in this life are just shadows of what is good in him, right? Um, so think of the happiest you've ever been and times that by the infinity of God, like that's something to want more of and it will be fixed for eternity. And we can purchase more or less for ourselves according to his commands, according to how we obey his commands. So all that to say about rewards. Uh, on this Christ the King Sunday, uh, I encourage you to, when you think of the king coming back, to think of the rewards in his hands that he has to give us. And I, I encourage you, especially in this sort of end-of-year season, to keep the poor in view in particular. I hope that a few of me kind of stop, a few of you stop me kind of at some point in the next couple of weeks and talk about this, like, hey, I, I've got a bit of extra change from the year. Wh- where can I give it? Let's have that conversation together. Um, and my prayer uh, daily for each of you um, maybe not in these words, but in other words, is that each of you, each of us, on that great day when we see Jesus, would hear those happy words. In fact, if you will for just a second, would you close your eyes just for a second? I'm going to read the words that Jesus says to the sheep, and I want you to fix in your mind as the words that you long and hope to hear when that day comes. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen.